Well, good morning. Why is it important that we would be one? We have gotten to Jesus' first specific prayer request here in John 17. And it's a prayer request for the disciples. And this would have captured the disciples' attention, and it should ours as well. Jesus prays and He's saying, I'm praying for these disciples, the ones who have witnessed that I have revealed the living God. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world right now. That will come later. But I pray for them because our relationship is about to be disrupted. Jesus has been saying that he is leaving. He's been saying this throughout the farewell discourse, throughout chapters 13 through 16. He's leaving. He's about to go to the cross. That great redemptive moment is coming. But Jesus prays out loud that the disciples would hear him say these things. It's about to get hard. But he prays, Holy Father, protect them by the power of their name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. This must be important, right? But why is it important the disciples would be one? Well, what happens if the disciples are split? Or they're not unified? Jesus has already said it. One of the disciples is about to betray him, Judas. He's going to leave. He's going to lose sight of who Jesus is. Lose sight of who God is. In verse 12 here, Jesus says he's been lost. One of the twelve disciples, one of their close friends, is going to be lost. So Jesus prays for his disciples. That they would be kept by God. And he gives them an image to define what type of oneness they need to have what type of oneness they need to have. Their unity is about to be disrupted. So Jesus prays out loud that they would hear, that they would remain unified. But unified around what? The disciples may have felt, you know, we know you because we've walked with you for the past three years, and now you're leaving. How do we stay unified if the one that that we worship is out of reach? Well, Jesus gives them an answer right here in the text. Do you see it? Jesus is praying that we would remain unified in glorifying God. That we would be one as God is one. So we have to tackle this question then about God. How is God one? What does this mean? Who is the we that Jesus is talking about? Remember, John 17 is a prayer between Jesus and the Father. And last week I gave you the little teaser that this week we were going to go full Trinity. Because there's a really big elephant in the room, right? How do we understand what's going on here? If Jesus is God, and he's praying to the Father who is God, and then in chapter 16 there's this Holy Spirit character who also is God, how do we also say that we worship one God? Before I dig in here, I think we need to set up some ground rules before we talk about the Trinity. And the first thing is we have a foundation throughout Scripture that God is holy. And when I say God is holy, I mean God is set apart. God is different. He's fully other than us. And so any way that an infinite God shows up in His creation, any way that He reveals Himself to us is 
It's a condescension. It's humbling on his part. And so we don't get to see the full picture. And I say that because we need to have this disclaimer that just because God is unfathomable doesn't mean that he is unknowable. And as we go along here, we're going to hit some bumps in the road. There's going to be some obstacles. This is going to be tricky. I'm telling you this in advance this morning. What we're going to talk about this morning is tricky. It's going to be shrouded in a little bit of mystery. But don't let that be a stop sign for you. Don't get lost this morning. Don't glaze over. This could be one where you might. But don't glaze over. Here, I'm going to give you a picture. Imagine yourself at the, uh, the State Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg, Russia. Okay, It's one of the great art museums in Russia and the world. Imagine yourself going through this art museum. You could come across this beautiful masterpiece painting and think, wow, those are some nice colors. This was painted by Rembrandt a long time ago. He's dead now, so we'll never know, I guess, what the shadowy faces are in the background. Let's move on to the next one. Or you can be so captured by a masterpiece that you decide to camp out there. One of my favorite authors is Henry Nouwen. He was a priest, um, and he was a teacher. He was uh, a professor for many years. And he visited this museum, and he sat in front of this painting for eight straight hours. The museum people had to grab a chair for him because he was old at the time, and he actually had to have, sit down there because he was there so long soaking in this painting, this masterpiece, because this is a painting of the prodigal son. He was so moved by it. And it actually changed the entire course of the rest of his life because he didn't just take a look at the masterpiece and move on. He camped out there. And so that's what we can do this morning. God is the ultimate masterpiece. And so we're going to camp out here. Just because our God is unfathomable doesn't mean he's not, that he's unknowable. And in fact, as disciples of Jesus, our goal is to be captured by how beautiful it is that our God is one, which is what our text is talking about this morning. We worship one God, our God is one. And when we say this, we are saying that God is one in being. We don't worship multiple gods. This isn't a polytheism. This isn't the Greek pantheon of gods. This is we worship one God. And perhaps the most important verse to a Jewish person is the Shema, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You might recognize the verse afterwards. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. This verse, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is so important. But what is this oneness? This one word doesn't just refer to a numerical value, one as opposed to two or three or four. One in Hebrew has the same idea as it does in English, which is you can be one from distinct parts being gathered together as a group. It's about unity of distinct parts being brought together, but ultimately fully united. So we say God is one in being. As you are a human being, as you and I are a human being, God is the God being. Okay, but what's happening here in John 17 then, right? Because Jesus is turning to the heavens and he's praying to the Father. You know, it comes off crazy if we don't understand this. 
what Scripture has revealed from the beginning is that God is one in being and three in person. One God in three persons. Now, we cannot wrap our minds fully around this. I know you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about, Jake. This is tricky. And I'm going to tell you, you will not understand this. Because our minds only understand one being, one person things. That's all we got. That's all we can get. It's a limitation in our brain, in our minds. Now, I'm going to illustrate this for you by giving you a headache here for a second. Okay? So, take a hypercube, for example. Now, the hypercube is it's a concept that's supposed to illustrate having fourth or more dimensions. You know, so a single dimension is a line, two dimensions is a square, three dimensions is a cube, four dimensions is this. Oh, the video's trying to play. There we go. And you're like, I still only see three dimensions, and it kind of just gives me a headache, Jake. It's because we can't see the fourth dimension, because our brains are limited. We can only get three dimensions. In the same way, we're not going to get anything other than one being, one person things. That's what our brains are stuck to. But God is one being in three persons. This seems illogical, but should it, should it surprise us that our God, who we worship, doesn't look exactly like us? Or should that amaze us? He's fully greater and beyond our full comprehension. And this is from the beginning. Throughout Scripture, this isn't just a New Testament idea. This is from the beginning. There are three persons in the Trinity. And I'm going to sum them up in an incredibly oversimplified way this morning. So let's talk about the Father. God is known as Father throughout Scripture. That doesn't mean that He isn't given motherly qualities. He is. But He's known as Father. The Father is other, invisible, unseeable. He's the Creator. More than anything, Scripture reveals that the Father is almighty in power, overflows and sends and begets. Even the idea of Him being called Father gives us this notion of being one who has created life, one who gives life. He sends, He overflows. And we see this sending in John 17 in in the past couple chapters here. That the Father is the one who sent the Son. He's also the one who sends the Holy Spirit. This is who He is. He's the one who sends. He blesses. So for us, when we gaze upon the beauty and the person of God in the Father, we see God's enormity. We see the Father's creativity, goodness, how He richly gives, how He sends His blessings, His bountifulness. Ultimately, He's a good, good Father as we sing. Ultimately, he's a good, good father. So, how about the son? Well, the son, aka the word, Logos, or Jesus, commonly known, we see that the son was, who's known as the word here in this passage, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Here's a real picture of the, the trickiness of the Trinity. How can be with something, but also is something? That's, that's the complexity here, the mystery in the Trinity. 
And from creation, He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Nothing was made, without Him, nothing was made that has been made. He's the object of the Father's love. Even the means through which the world was created. The Son is the image of the invisible God, showing us love, meeting with people. He's the person of the Trinity to come to meet with us, feel with us, relate with us, ultimately rescue us and conquer us from the death, from sin and death on the cross. That all who would believe in him will be brought into right relationship with the Father. He's the one sent to rescue. And what captures us about Jesus so much? But the person of God who's embodied, he's incarnational, he's in the flesh. For us, the Son is the one we most often identify with. As Hebrews says, he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So for us, when we gaze upon the beauty of the Son, we see the love of God, God's nearness, God's desire for relationship, God's heart. We see no greater love, love than this, that Jesus laid down his life for us on the cross while we were yet sinners. Yet Jesus said in John 16, it is better that I leave because Jesus will send the Spirit. Notice how I just said that the Father says that he will send the Spirit and then Jesus says he'll send the Spirit. There's going to be a lot of this overlap. We have the Holy Spirit who was also from the beginning. Do you remember Genesis 1, 1 and 2? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. From the beginning, the Holy Spirit has been giving life, giving new hearts, transforming people and empowering broken people to do amazing things for God's glory. And what captures us, when we gaze upon the beauty of the Holy Spirit, we see God as our comforter, as our healer, as our helper, the inhabiting, knowable presence of the Almighty God in our lives the revealer of all truth, and the abiding presence and the fullness of God that brings joy. Okay, but this is confusing. I see some of you glazing over already. This is confusing. I mean, I would just prefer sometimes, you know, just like if I could just have a God I could easily grasp, like, you know, the, the white beard, Zeus, you know, Odin-like picture of God up in heaven on a cloud. This is easier, Right? But just because our God is unfathomable doesn't make Him unknowable. And in fact, the pursuit of trying to know God is what we call being a disciple, being a learner, being a follower of Jesus. Do we want a God that can easily fit into a box? The reality is this, and this is what I'm most moved by this morning. If nothing else, when we understand that our God is both one and in three persons, we can truly see that our God has always been loving and in relationship. Don't miss this. If God is truly all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, all-loving, what was He doing before creation? Think about it. What was God doing before creation? This is a very real question that every religion has to deal with. If we keep a single conception of the white-bearded God and we say, what were you doing before creation? Why did you make us? 
we really struggle with, with an answer. Did you make us because you were lonely? Did you make us because you needed us? How could God be love if there was nothing for him to love prior to creation? How could God be good if there was nothing for him to be good to before creation? This is the answer that we see in the beauty of the Trinity, that God has always been loving. He's always been good and he's always been in relationship. The truth of the Trinity actually reveals the only way that one God can make sense and also be loving and be good and self-sufficient. He's the God who is in relationship within the Trinity before creation. And in fact, creation is just the overflow of God's love within the Trinity. He made all things for Jesus. The Father made all things for Jesus, through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. You see, it's an overflow of the love that the Father had for the Spirit and for the Son. And that the, that the Son had for the Father. And that He had for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit had for the Father and for the Son. And then it just becomes this tangled mess of oneness. Beautiful, beautiful oneness. Hallelujah, I don't comprehend it all, but I'm in awe of my God. When we see that God from before creation, in and of the Trinity, who He is in every way, we see that He's revealed from all time and forever that He is love. That God is love, as it says in 1 John. We read that and we think, I don't know what that means. This is what we see in the Trinity. That God is in who He is before creation, from all time, He has always been loving always been in relationship. Our God is love. And yes, at the end of the day, mysterious, okay? You're like, that was confusing. Have I lost you yet? Or did you get a taste of the beauty? Are you drawn into the masterpiece? One God in three persons who is in and of himself loving. And at the end of the day, our God is one. Unified in being and in purpose. And this purpose is to glorify God. And Joel said this two weeks ago. We talked about this word glorify, and I heard it through the prayers this morning. I heard it through the way we're talking this morning. Glorifying is about showing God's character and mission in the world. And when God reveals himself, it's actually the greatest love that he could give. More of himself. And so the oneness of God is ultimately about this, and don't miss it. The oneness of God, it's about the three distinct persons of the Trinity, that they're one in being and loving purpose to glorify and make known God. So we ask, what does it mean when Jesus says to the Father, as we are one? This is the oneness. The oneness is about the love, the faithfulness, the pointing towards Godness within the Trinity. And this is the oneness that he also desires for us. How can we be anything like this God? You just described God as unfathomable. How can we be like this? If looking at God is like standing in front of a masterpiece painting, then looking at us, looking at the church is like 
It's like looking at my two-year-old's artwork. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's more, it's more um, modern art, I'll put it that way. It's, it's more modern art. But Jesus says his prayer is that they would be one, that we would be one. How can we be like this? Let's, take a, let's, let's broaden the scope a little bit and look back at what Jesus' prayer request was. He said, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. And literally, this language is actually, it's just keep them in your name. And we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. Keep them in your name. The idea that Jesus is saying is keep them in you. Keep them in who you are. Keep them in knowing you. Keep them in relationship with you. Keep them in reflecting you. Keep them in glorifying you. That they may be one as we are one. So now, the oneness that Jesus is praying for is not just unity for the sake of of keeping you know, things fun and laid back and easy in the church. Jesus isn't just praying that they'd be unified so that they'd be hunky-dory, every one of them best friends, looking like each other, having the same interests, just a bunch of besties. No, the church is made up of really different, broken people. We're not promised to all be friends. But what are we? We're the church of like two, three hundred different persons who can't be one in being, but who can be one body. Unified because we are all focused on glorifying God. We are the people who are unified trying to imitate God in the same way that He is one. We'd all be focused together on this, glorifying God. As I defined glorifying earlier, reflecting the character and mission of our God. This is what it means. Followers of Jesus. We would be one in this. They're all focused, having their lives completely reoriented towards God. As Jesus is focused in that moment on the Father and the Father and the Son and the Spirit proceeding from the Son, revealing the Father, so our focus would also be on glorifying God. Our gaze firmly transfixed on who He is. Jesus is praying that we would be one as God is one. That we remain unified in glorifying God. What do we do with this? Why is it important that we remain one? That's where we started this morning. That we remain unified in glorifying God. The old Google machine told me this past week that there are 19 different Christian churches in Gloucester alone. Now I don't say that because that's a clear sign of our failure to hear Jesus' prayer here. It's not. There's a certain degree of beauty in the diversity of the churches. And in many of these churches we partner with. It's not a competition. We're actually together. It's actually really beautiful when you consider that across Gloucester right now, there are a number of churches who are praising the one God in three persons 
together with us. And there's actually something very different from our splintered, polarized, not unified country and culture. When the church is unified, it looks different. When we're united in worship and reflecting the character and mission and glorifying God, it looks different. And that's actually what God has called us into. To be one so that we can actually bring glory, reflect the character and purposes of our God so that a broken world would see there is something different about these Christians. But there's also a warning here. When we don't remain unified, when we lose sight of our God, when we stop glorifying God, we just display the same old brokenness and dysfunction that our world expects. And actually it gets highlighted, doesn't it? When churches are dysfunctional, it gets highlighted. So we as a community have a responsibility to one another to stay unified, to work through our brokenness, to give up our conflicts that we have with one another before the Lord, to seek partnerships with other churches, to be Christians who are known by our love because our God is love. To be one as God is one. So let me ask you, What is the Holy Spirit stirring up in you when you consider, are we unified? What is being stirred up in you? You consider this question, are we unified? Are we one? Maybe there's a personal relationship here that needs mending. Whether that's a friendship, a marriage, an acquaintance, somebody you haven't met yet. Maybe there's an opportunity to commit to caring for the unity of our church together. Maybe there's places where you can plug into to co-labor to keep our community focused on glorifying God. But I can't just ask this individually because this this is being said to us corporately too. So how about for us as a church together? What is the Spirit stirring up in us together to help us as a church body show who our God is, that we would be one as He is one? That's a heavy calling. But praise be to God. This is His prayer over us. Jesus is praying this out loud over us. And ultimately, this is God's desire for us. He's the one who gives us the power and the grace to ever even be able to glorify him. So in John 17, we see one God in three persons, in loving relationship, overflowing into creation. Each person of the Trinity firmly focused on glorifying and revealing and loving the other persons of the Godhead. And so Jesus is about to leave in this text. And we know he has left. He's not here in person, in body and in flesh, as he was with the disciples. He prays his first request for the disciples and they heard and so should we. Jesus prays, may these disciples stay in relationship with me. May they remain unified in glorifying God. We got to stay together. Each of us distinct persons as one body learning more about this one God. Embodying and reflecting 
the creativity, the blessing, and the gift-giving of the Father, the advocacy and the care and the truthfulness of the Holy Spirit and the service, humility, and the steadfast love of Jesus. And guess what? Perhaps, maybe even, our world would get a glimpse of who our God is when they look in at us. But this requires that we take time to actually know what does our God look like? He doesn't look like us. We get to have our our entire lives reoriented towards Him. We can remain unified together in glorifying the one true God. Our gaze firmly transfixed on Him. I'm going to close this morning by praying the same prayer that Jesus prayed over the disciples. Over us, and for our church worldwide too. Holy Father, keep us in You. In You as You have revealed Yourself through Jesus Christ, through the Spirit. So that we may be one as you are one. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.